What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. Wesley Shoemaker, host of the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. We are joined today by the one and only Aaron Parker. Going to talk some Manoa All-Star Game, little media day wrap-up, and a little look at the preseason depth chart for WV football, as well as talking a little Best Virginia and TBT. Aaron, how are we feeling on this Monday morning, Monday afternoon? Feeling good. Mountaineers, well, the former Mountaineer team got a big 30-point win, and it's going to set up for a big-time uh, TBT rivalry game with, with her bet. And I'm definitely excited about Alec Manoa. Um, he's my favorite pitcher in the MLB, and to see him perform like that in L.A., that's huge. Yeah, kind of starting with Manoa here. Uh, for those who don't know, Alec Manoa was selected as an all-star for the American League for last Tuesday's Major League Baseball All-Star game. Manoa pitched in the second inning of the game and faced four batters, struck out three of the, struck out the three batters and then hit one on a back foot slider. And he was kind of he kind of stole the show. He was mic'd up. Uh, Fox was doing their thing with him on the mic. He was talking live to I believe it was John Smoltz in the booth and Smoltz said give him a back back foot slider to I think it was Jeff McNeil of the Mets. And yeah. he, he gave him the back foot slider, kind of came a little too far and hit him with the pitch. Either way, then you got Ronald Acuna striking out on uh, the next batter. So Manoa, three strikeouts in one inning of work. Uh, it was just kind of cool to see a Mountaineer on that big of a stage, especially in baseball. It's not like you're an SEC school or one of these powerhouses. It's West Virginia. They don't really have that many guys. But now I think this year they've had four Mountaineers. Um in the pro in, in the highest level of professional baseball. So that's good to see. And it was good to see Manoa shine on the brightest stage. Yeah, Manoa's a guy that that doesn't shy away from the, you know, the flashing lights and the cameras and all that. He's he's got that personality. I think uh I think you saw that when he was mic'd up. But yeah, I mean he's got great stuff. I mean you look at him, he's got a sinker that cuts in uh on your hands. It's like 95 miles per hour. Disgusting slider, circle circle change, fastball that reaches what 95, 96. He's a great pitcher, and he's got great stuff, and you could see that in the All-Star game. I mean, he struck out William Contreras, Ronald Acuna Jr., Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson's having a huge year. And he had Jeff McNeil to one, too, and about had them struck out. But um, he's a great pitcher. Obviously, his numbers say that. He's got a 2 2 four ERA. And the only time – he doesn't hardly lose at all. And if he does lose, it's when the, the Blue Jays don't give him any run support. So he's having a heck of a season. He's right up there with Shane McClanahan and, and Justin Verlander for the side end. Yeah, if you want to talk about what he did and what he did right after the break, uh, this weekend on Saturday, he pitched against the Red Sox, completely dealed, uh, went six innings, struck out seven, allowed only one run. Um, and he he backed up his play with some serious talk. If you not sure if you guys saw if who's who's seen it on Twitter, who is not if you're listening to this, but he, he was talking to uh had some choice words, let's just say, for the Red Sox lineup as he uh, thoroughly dominated them. Yeah, I thought it was funny even coming – I'm a Red Sox fan, but, you know, I thought it was funny. The Red Sox are playing bad baseball, and he can back up his talk. I think I think he got a little hyped um, when he struck out Bobby Dalback, and uh, his manager gave him a little talk to just, you know, kind of manifest that energy and not take it too far. But, like, I thought it, I thought it was fine, to be honest with you. I think Bobby Dalback is terrible. And Alec Manoa is really good. So, yeah, why not talk some smack? Why not? All right. Orioles are the second-best team in that division. Moving on. Uh, talking about Big 12 uh, media days, West Virginia football, 
since the last time we have chatted, West Virginia released a preseason depth chart. A uh, couple things stand out, but not really, I don't think, are that of note. Starting with the defense before we get into the big uh, talk on the offense. Nothing really stands out to me. That's too surprising. Uh, good to see Lee, Lee Pogba. Uh, I'm going to learn how to pronounce his name. Uh, at the middle linebacker position, uh, Neil Brown talked about him at media days, saying he's going to probably be a, a difference maker. Uh, Charles Woods, obviously, in the back end there. Uh, and then just kind of your defensive line. You got Dante Stills, Jordan Jefferson, Taj Alston. No real surprise there. And then Jared Bartlett or Linnell Carr at your bandit spot. But on defense, there really wasn't any surprises for me. Uh, what were your kind of biggest takeaways on the defense side of the ball, AP? Uh, not really any uh, big takeaways as far as the depth chart goes, but um, I think I think Lee Koga, or however you say it, is definitely going to be a difference maker. How many times did Neil Brown mention his name during the um, spring football press conferences? I mean, they really like him. Jordan Leslie, Leslie really likes him, and he's supposed to be big. As far as maybe like X factors go, uh, you mentioned Charles Woods. Charles Woods is really the only experienced cornerback or even just secondary in general um, on that Mountaineer squad. And Neil Brown has kind of talked them up a lot, the guys like Aubrey Burks and Davis Mallinger who are sliding in that role, but they don't have much game experience. And Charles Wood is going to be the leader. Um, they took him down to media day in Dallas. So he's got to step up, um, no doubt about it. Yeah, I think – in the next month, we're going to talk, obviously, a lot of football as we ramp up towards the beginning of the season. But I think the biggest thing for me with this defense is where where is that depth going to come from? You have a lot of depth up front on the defensive line. But once you get past the front four there, it's kind of – there's a lot of question marks. And I feel like there's athletes and there's guys who've proven themselves, especially at smaller levels, whether it's JUCO or the FCS level or even at smaller Division One schools that are now being propelled into this – situation where you don't really have any time or any room to grow this is a team that is in a win now phase they've kind of struggled over the past three years but their calling card has been defense over the past three years hopefully they get an upgrade at quarterback which means the offense scores more points but the defense has been kind of what has kept West Virginia in a lot of ball games in the last couple of years and if this if if they're so young and they're not kind of producing at the level that needs to be, I'm not sure how, how many games you're going to win just because everything on the offensive side of the ball, yes, there's talent, but there's also a lot of question marks and the, you need to prove it still on the offense. Yeah, you're right. And as far as the defense goes, you, you mentioned like, what if they get past that, that front line of, you know, Taj Austin, Jefferson, Stills and all that, you make a good point. I mean, they have Lee Copa at, at linebacker, but they've lost Josh Chandler-Samidu. Um, they lost Mandarius Cowan. They lost – how many guys did they lose on the secondary? You lost Mesidor up front too? Yeah. Yeah, you lose Mesidor. You've lost two to graduation in the secondary, and you lost Nick Troy Fortune to the portal. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of question marks, but guys are going to have to step up, even if they're coming from JUCO level or something like that. I believe Charles Woods played at what? He played at Illinois State, didn't he? So he made that jump, and I think he made it pretty smoothly. So um, other people have to do that. Um, you know, I think I think Van Darius Cowan's replaceable. I think he was very inconsistent. Um, but it's going to be hard to, to uh, replace Josh Chandler's media. So it uh, be interesting to, interesting to see if that will happen. Yeah, I just think when you have kind of the leader of your defense like that, a guy who was always around the ball, always making plays, and someone who was as experienced as he was, 
Um, it's hard to replace that overnight, but I think Pogba is going to obviously be a big piece in, in, in that linebacker room, and it'll be interesting to see. Pivoting to the offense, obviously, I think the biggest word was the word or. I think that word means something on paper, but if you actually think about it, it is meaningless. Uh, we'll go backwards here. Kind of starting with the wide receivers. Uh, your, your ones are Sam James, Reese Smith, Caden Prather. No real surprise there to me. Um, tight end, I think it's going to be an interesting interesting kind of way to see how this tight end room goes. Obviously, Michael Laughlin, he's been there. Uh, Brian Polanday, he's from Colorado State. Uh, Mike is more of a pass catcher, and Brian's more of a blocker, but who can also catch the ball some. I think you're going to see a lot of 12 personnel and get both those tight ends on the field at the same time would not surprise me at all. Then going on the offensive line, uh, right tackle, Brandon Yates or Jaquay Hubbard. Obviously, Neil's talked about both of them and how they're both trying to gain experience. Then you got Doug Nestor, right guard. I think that's a surprise to no one. Zach Frazier, pro probably one of the best players on this offense as a whole. Um, he's going to be at your center again. James Committer, another experienced guy, left guard. And then Wyatt Milam, another talented dude at left tackle. Uh, then you got Bryce Ford Whedon as your wide receiver one at the X. Then running back room, obviously, uh, Lynn J. Dixon no longer with the team. So it is Tony Mathis and Justin Johnson. I We'll get to that in a second. And then biggest story, if you really want to call it a story, it isn't, it isn't really a story to me, but uh, Garrett Green, Will Crowder, Nico Markiel, or JT Daniels, they did not list a one, two, three, or four. Uh, kind of talking about that, for me, it's there's there's a couple sides to this coin. First side is that you don't really want to announce a starter, even though the whole world is probably guessing it's going to be JT Daniels, just because you want to have it be a quote-unquote competition. Second thing is you don't want to name a starter now because you don't want someone to leave before fall camp and then you have an injury or something, and then, boom, you're stuck with two quarterbacks and one's a true freshman. Um, I just think in the world of the transfer portal, in the world of – JT Daniels still has to prove it. Um, obviously, I think he's going to get the shot, but it wouldn't surprise me if someone transferred out if you list a one, two, three, and four here. So I think it's kind of smart on West Virginia's end that they didn't and that they're going into camp and letting the world see it as a competition. Yeah, when you put it like that, you're probably right. If JT Daniels were to go out there week one and get hurt, yeah, you don't want to be stuck with two quarterbacks one of which being, you know, a freshman in Markiel. Um, and even Will Crowder, I mean, he's got no no experience except for playing Long Island. So I think you make a good point there. But, you know, if it's not JT, job, JT Daniels' job, then I don't know. The season might might be a flop. I'm, I'm not really sure because they went out and went so hard to get him, um, a proven guy like that. So if you don't give him the job, then I don't know. Some people will get restless. But, I mean, if somebody beats him out, then – that will be a story in and of itself, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. And I think Neil Brown in one of his side interviews, excuse me, talked to Heather Dinich of ESPN and talked a lot about JT Daniels. And so I think just that within itself shows that JT is going to be the guy come September 1st. And look, I mean, fall camp, something could happen. JT does have an injury history. So obviously Mountaineer fans don't want to hear that, but that like, 
there is a history of injuries with JC Daniels, and he has to stay on the field and be able to stay on the field for a full season if West Virginia is going to do the things and want to win the amount of games that they want to. The West Virginia has a favorable home schedule. Obviously, they have the two rivalry games on the road, but conference-wise, they get Oklahoma at home. They get, I think, they get Baylor at home. Like they, they have two of the better teams in the conference at home. Uh, obviously, you do have to travel to Stillwater against Oklahoma State. But other than that, like, there's not really a challenging road game, in a sense, in the conference. Outside of Oklahoma State, it's, it's, it's darn near impossible to go into Stillwater and win, especially if you're WVU, who hasn't won there since Clint Trickett. Um, so I'd, I'd label that one is hard, but I think you're right. I mean, the home schedule is favorable. You want Baylor at home. I really think this is going to be the year that WVU can do something against Oklahoma. Um, they got that 2020 home game ripped away from them. So, yeah, I, I think they do have a favorable home schedule. Um, they got to go out there and win. I mean, last year, homecoming, played a mediocre Texas Tech team and lost. That stuff can't happen. They didn't show up a time or two. And, you know, uh, yeah, Oklahoma State. I know Oklahoma State's a good football team, but the offense didn't show up in that game. A lot of students there, a lot of a lot of fans. Major Harris's number got retired, and they didn't show up. So, um, they got to play in front and and beat off their crowd this year because they have six or seven home games and they need to win them. Yeah, just thinking about the home games you do have in conference, you've got Baylor on a Thursday night, like night games in Morgantown. Those are always good crowds, even if it is a Thursday. I think the last time in 2018, Baylor came to Morgantown on a Thursday night. West Virginia steamrolled them. Like it was, I think they put up 56, 60 points, something like that. So, You've got to – I mean, you've got the offensive pieces. You've got the defensive pieces, especially on the front. It's just got to come together, and I think that's the hardest thing to kind of predict with this team is will it come together? And if it does come together, does it come together week one or does it come together week six? And obviously you're traveling to Austin, you're traveling to Stillwater, but I don't know. And then you get to – like you get TCU at home, Baylor at home, Oklahoma at home, Baylor – Kansas State at home, like you have all these kind of better teams in the conference, if you want to say. I think Texas Tech and having to travel there really isn't that big of a deal. Um, I just don't know how big of a turnaround they'll have. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see kind of when everything starts to come together. And if you're Neil Brown and you're a West Virginia football fan, you're hoping it comes together September 1st and not November 1st. Yeah, obviously WVU fans are impatient, so I definitely hope it comes together first thing, you know. And I tend to think that they're going to lose one of the rivalry games on the road, but but I don't think they're going to lose both. Um, so when Big 12 conference play rolls around, it needs to come together then because um, if you're asking me, like, I like Neil Brown. Like, he's always kind of got the right things to say, and he's a great recruiter, but, you know, it's time it's time to win some ball games, win more than six ball ballgames. Um, I think this year is the year where you got to win – eight or something like that, a minimum seven on a bowl win um, before fans really get um, get restless. So I think when, when Big 12 play rolls around, they better be ready for it. And obviously, you just can't go into in the rivalry games. You got to get one. You got to get one. Yeah, just thinking about it now, the first 10 days of September are huge. You have Pitt in the backyard brawl. College game day will be there as announced in the past week. Uh, that's going to be going to be electric, obviously. Uh, then you have Kansas. Like, you're opening – your home schedule with a big 12 game and a very winnable big 12 game. So you kind of got to take advantage of that, get off on the right foot of conference play. Um, and then get Towson FCS school. Uh, obviously that's a, that's probably a W 
But then you got to go on the road to Virginia Tech, and then you respond with a road game in Austin. So that's pretty – two hostile environments back-to-back there. Um, so in the first – literally the first 30 days of the season, West Virginia will have played five games, and I think we'll have a really good understanding of this team. Um, until then, obviously it's just kind of waiting and seeing, and that's kind of then where the pressure falls on JT Daniels' shoulders falls on a guy like Dante stills his shoulders and just got to wait and see. Yeah. Those, those are going to be the team leaders. And I think they're all looking forward to just September one. I don't, they're not, I don't think those players are getting into the hypotheticals like we are. I think, I mean, they've had a countdown to the backyard brawl in their practice facility for like hundred, 200 plus days. So um, they're really thinking about that and to put college game day in Pittsburgh for that, it's just going to amp up the pressure and uh, amp up the lights just a little bit more. Um, I don't think WV has been involved in a college game day since what TCU twenty seventeen. I think I think no, I think they it was it the one that was on the road right at TCU. Yeah, yeah. that was twenty seventeen. Because they, they haven't had one in Morgantown since they had, they had LSU at home, they had TCU at home, and then they that had and then they had TCU on the road, and I think that's been it. Yep, I think it is too. Um, it's been a few years, and to have it in a rivalry game on a Thursday night, that's going to be big time. And um, I tend to think the crowd's going to be like 50-50, so um, I wonder if, if if any fights will break out or if it'll be civilized. I wonder how that's going to go. And for those who are wondering, as far as game day goes, Lee Corso, known for his famous mascot headgear picks, is has never picked the Mountaineers and has been proven correct in all three of those picks. He's 3-0 and as a picker of West Virginia games, and he's picked against West Virginia every time. Uh, moving on. Final thing here on this Monday is the basketball tournament. Uh, West Virginia's alumni team, Best Virginia, got going last night on Sunday with a 75-45 win over Virginia Dream. Uh, Mountaineers forced 16 turnovers, got 20 points off those turnovers. It was kind of close in the first half, third quarter. um, Best Virginia pulled away. Fourth quarter pulled away more until Jawan Staten hit a free throw as as a part of this Elam ending. Um, they're they're going to face Marshall's uh, alumni team. Heard of that in round two on Tuesday night. Aaron, just kind of give your thoughts on yesterday's game and then what you're expecting out of this in-state rivalry, if you will. Well, you know, I think it's the same thing as last year and whatever, two years before that. I think the best player on this team is Kevin Jones. Uh, Obviously, he's going to the WV Hall of Fame for a reason. Uh, One of the best offensive rebounders we've ever seen. He's he's got that baby hook shot. He's a good player, and, um, you know, he can still run the floor. I think Jawan Stain's pretty uh, proven at the guard position, but I like Jermaine Haley on this team. I don't think he's ever been part of the TBT team. He's like a 6'7 guard. I mean, you just don't see that much, especially in a tournament like this. Um, so he gave you what? He gave you 11 points in like 16 or 17 minutes. I like him. Uh, the Jamel Morris guy from Fairmont State has been proven that he's pretty good. I don't think he was very efficient yesterday, but um, he's tall. And I think he can shoot the ball too. To play that herd that team, I mean, I think I think it's going to be a, a big crowd in Charleston because um, you know, I know Marshall's fan base really swarms to that team. And John Elmore's basically their best player and one of their best players in their history. So. So I think it's going to be a big time game on Tuesday. Yeah, I think it. I think it'll be fun. I think this is kind of what you want when you dream up of a West Virginia regional. Is you want two teams that 
they like they're rivals if you want to think about it. Marshall, I think, thinks of West Virginia more as a rival than West Virginia thinks of Marshall as a rival. That's besides the point. You have two alumni teams here facing off in an in-state, in-state bout, and it's taking place in the state capital in Charleston. So good to see for the state, good to see for the game of basketball, and hopefully it is a fun one. You kind of spoke briefly about Kevin Jones uh, being inducted into the WV Sports Hall of Fame. There were eight new members that were inducted, and it's a pretty – Pretty deep, pretty stacked Hall of Fame class. Um, so Donna Abbott, women's basketball, Mary Louise Aslin, cross-country track, names you'll know here, Tavon Austin, Stedman Bailey, Geno Smith, Kevin Jones. Uh, Geno, Tavon, Stead were on the football, were played football, obviously, and then Kevin Jones, men's basketball, as we just talked about. And then two rifle inductees, Marsha Beasley and Marilee Homan, I think is how you pronounce the name. Anyways, Stacks, uh, WV Hall of Fame class. Aaron, just keep your kind of brief thoughts on it. My thoughts are obviously KJ was so good. You know, he made the he was on that uh, 2010 Final Four team as a sophomore and a big difference maker. Um, I think the biggest thing for me on that is just I love to see Tavon, Stem, and Gino go in together and not on separate years because they were they were a big trio. Um, I think there was their freshman year, Stedman, Redshirt, while the other two played, but for the most part, they pretty much always played together. Um, Stedman in that 2012 season was the best receiver in the country. He got snubbed of a Boetnikoff award. Let's call it how it is. And Tavon is to this day, one of the most electric college players ever. I mean, you see a, a ton of non-WV fans say that. And Geno Smith put up so many, uh, so many awards and, and stats. And I, I love to see them going together, especially um, because they gave our school BCS uh, win over Clemson. Yeah, just thinking about that, even if you want to go back to kind of West Virginia making their debut in the Big 12, they had that shootout against Baylor at home, start the stadium to open the 2012 season. And that was kind of the here we are Big 12 come get us moment for Dana and company. And that company was Tavon, Gino, and Stedman Bailey. So you have these guys that were Mountaineer legends and you still hear guys, you see people on Twitter talking about Tavon Austin. You see people saying, oh my gosh, college highlights were insane. He was returning kicks. He was scoring punt touchdowns he was scoring touchdowns on the ground through the air like he was doing everything you possibly could on a football field and to see them all get recognized together I think is a big deal I think it's really good that the people who uh, uh, choose these things put them together and it's going to be a I doubt I don't think either any of them will really be able to be there because I think maybe Stedman I think Tavon and Gino Tavon and Gino will definitely be preparing uh, for an NFL game that week, but Stephen Bailey should be there. And kind of looking at the other people, like you have the current Ole Miss rifle coach on here, I was reading. So uh, someone who's kind of transcended the rifle sport at West Virginia. Um, and you have the first ever uh, shooter, I think is what they call them at rifle. I should know this. I covered them. Uh, you have a shooter that was the first ever female shooter, and it was years before Title IX. A lot of cool history and facts. If you want to see more, go check it out on bluegoldsports.com. Uh, anything else, Aaron, on TBT, Manoa, football, or Hall of Fame? Yeah, just the Hall of Fame. I mean, you're talking about when you brought up that Baylor game. I mean, I think Stemma Bailey caught like four touchdowns in that game. Like you said, Tavon, he was a human hi highlight reel, and I think – Stedman was probably, if you look at the numbers, probably more efficient. He caught four touchdowns against Oklahoma. It was a really, you know, Big 12, here we are, can get us moment. Unfortunately, that season kind of 
spiral downwards, but that was because that year's defense, they couldn't stop a parked car. So, um, but offensively they were, they were big time and I love seeing them get in together. Hopefully maybe one of them can get a bye week, but I, I think we can count on Stemman being there. I think so. I think what they're doing is I think it's like this. It's before the Towson games. So it was September seventeenth. So that's week two of the NFL season. Geno's going to be fighting for a starting job out there in Seattle. Uh, Tavon's obviously with the Bills now this year, so don't expect to see either of them there. Which is all right, though. Um, that's all right. Hopefully they put together a show the day mm-hmm. after on Sunday. But uh, that's it for us today. If we. We hope that you uh, made it this far. And if you do, we do appreciate you listening. I'm Wesley Shoemaker, joined by Aaron Parker. And this is the Blue World Sports Podcast.